want to read from Psalm, the 30th chapter, 30th Psalm. Uh, we read pieces of it earlier in our litany, and we want to read it in its uh, context, verses 1 through 5, Psalm 30. I give you all the credit, God. You got me out of that mess. You didn't let my foes gloat. God, my God, I yelled for help, and you put me together. God, you pulled me out of the grave, gave me another chance at life when I was down and out. All you saints, sing your hearts out to God. Thank him to his face. He gets angry once in a while, but across a lifetime, there is only love. The nights of crying your eyes out give way to days of laughter. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, in case you haven't noticed, nighttime can be a very, very lonely, terrible, difficult time. Have you ever had that experience where nighttime is extremely terrible, extremely long, extremely unfun? Uh, it happens. Uh, anytime we deal with a passage of Scripture uh, that uh, in the Sunday morning worship that deals with this theme of darkness and daylight and nighttime of the soul and waiting for morning. There's a, a particular member of our congregation who's usually in the 815 service, and he, uh, he served in Vietnam during the war, and he, he always talks about that terrible, terrible uh, time when they would be out on night patrol, and they would be uh, just on pins and needles waiting for the enemy to come out of the jungle into the clearing and just waiting and waiting, and how, how wonderful it was, the first shafts of daylight, uh, the first opportunity to, uh, to see some daylight, knowing that at least then they had the advantage of being able to see, and, and uh, the fears began to subside. And he, he always mentions that to me, and we talk about how much passage of Scripture like this morning and others mean to him. And you know, daylight and dark are marvelous themes in Scripture, nighttime, of weeping, the psalmist said that weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes in the morning. That perpetual contrast. Uh, Archibald Hunter is a New Testament scholar, and he reminded us that we shouldn't bring our Western uh, interpretation of that theme into a very Hebrew way of thinking. That uh, in a Western sort of Greek mentality, darkness and light are the contrasts of ignorance and knowledge. Whereas for the Hebrew, and the, the psalmist was a Hebrew, uh, it's not the dark, it's not uh, ignorance and, and knowledge. The contrast, darkness and light, is between danger and safety, danger and security. That in a culture that had no artificial light, that when the sun goes down and there are no stars out and no moon to shine because of cloud cover, dark is very dark. Dark is very scary, and dark can be tough, and nighttime can seem so long when you're going through things. We all go through various kinds of nighttime in our lives. Uh, back when uh, Senator Bob Dole was running for uh, in the national presidential election and lost, a reporter asked him uh, the next morning how, how he'd slept, and Dole said, well... I slept like a baby. I got up every two hours and cried, you know. Uh, and so, yeah, nighttime can be long. 
Nighttime can be painful. There can be uh, national nighttime, too. Uh, as we think about this holiday that we're upon, the nation's birthday, we thank we think about all that God has brought our country through, and we give thanks for all the ways that God has blessed us, and yet we also acknowledge, if you're honest on a birthday, you acknowledge things that aren't right, and we say, you know, there's just still a lot of nighttime in our lives today as a nation, and we want it to be better. And interestingly enough, there was this theme in this particular psalm, there was some kind of national uh, consciousness to what the psalmist was saying. I don't know if you noticed not every Bible translation is the same. This is one of the few psalms out of the 150 psalms that tells us exactly why it was written, the purpose. Usually the psalms are generic and general because they want everybody to be able to plug in your crisis. But in, in a lot of Bibles, the one I use in, in particular, there's a superscription above the psalm that says, a song at the dedication of the temple. And it's a clue, Bible scholars believe, that that after the exile, after a time of national shame and national calamity, there was this coming together again and a rededication of the temple, and they, they wanted to remember this horrible nighttime that they'd been through as a nation, and they wanted to acknowledge that God had delivered them and that joy had come in the morning after that horrible nighttime. A good clue for us. Uh, there are other kinds of nighttimes that you could name for me this morning. There's the nighttime of illness and disease. You know, that horrible uh, news that we get from the doctor, a diagnosis, or we're in pain and can't sleep. And that's a, that's a very, very long kind of night. Weeping lingers for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, hospitals tell us that the, the request for pain medication is always greater at night. There's something about nighttime that is painful and lonely. Uh, there is um, the nighttime of grief and loss. There's probably no night that's longer uh, than the first few nights after the death of a loved one uh, or a, a divorce or some other kind of significant loss to where at, at, at bedtime there is that, that aloneness. Weeping endures for the night, and it's, it's painful. Um, there's the nighttime of, of depression and anxiety. If you've ever struggled with mental illness, you know that nighttime can be terrifying because of, of all those thoughts that rush into your mind and, and how, how it just seems like morning is never going to come. So the psalmist knew what he was talking about when he said weeping endures for a night. It's, it's nighttime that can be so difficult. And I don't want to minimize the terrifying uh, nighttime for children, preschoolers, little ones. They get afraid of the dark. They're terrified by what they think might be there. Mama, leave the door cracked, please. Uh, Daddy, put on the nightlight. And you're just in the next room, aren't you? And there's something about night that for little human beings is just so difficult. And we need to take that seriously and know that, that nighttime can be a terrible time and a long time and a lonely time weeping that endures for the night. And let's think a little bit about spiritual nighttime. Uh, you know, sometimes we are so sanitized, we who come to church and have only or mostly church friends and Christian circles that we run in, 
we get sanitized and isolated and insulated from the world of hurt out there and the spiritual darkness, the spiritual night. People who've lost their way spiritually, people who can't find their way to Jesus or who've drifted and can't find their way back to the right path and it's a terrifying spiritual night. I love the, the Gospel of John's take on Jesus' Last Supper. It's, it's an interesting uh, playing with light and darkness throughout John's Gospel, but in that 13th chapter of John, when Jesus is seated at the table with the disciples and he announces, one of you is going to betray me, and the disciples all look at each other and they go, what in the world? And, and then Jesus, he must have been drilling Judas's eyes with his own eyes, penetrating with that, that stare that probably only Jesus could give. He looked at Judas and he handed Judas a morsel of bread and overcome with guilt and overcome with shame and perhaps regret at what he had done. Judas knew that, that Jesus was going to be handed over to be, to be crucified. All of history is sort of is hinging on that particular moment and he realizes he's played a part in it. Out of shame, he just jumps up and leaves the table. And John, who could have written long paragraphs in theological reflection about what had just happened. Jesus, the Son of God, had been betrayed. He could have written volumes about it. All John says in, in uh, John thirteen thirty is, and it was night. Well, you probably already knew that because it was a supper, right? But John wants to make the point. It was night. It was such a dark time. And lest we get too sanitized and forget about all of our friends and work acquaintances and school acquaintances who are, who are in spiritual nighttime, let's don't ever forget what it's like to, to struggle with the night. You know, there's a Bible word for that that's called futility or futile. Uh, it's used in 1 Peter 1.18 and several other places in Scripture. And I, I looked up some synonyms for that, for that New Testament word. And it made me, they all made me think of darkness. To live a life in spiritual darkness and in the nighttime, it's an empty life. It's an idle life. It's a life lacking truth. It's a powerless life, a life not going anywhere, a life that can't hold water, a life that's foolish, a life that's a dead end. That's what futile means. That's, that's the, the spiritual nighttime. That's what it's like to be without Christ, without hope in this world. We shouldn't ever forget that. And the psalmist sort of picks up on that because uh, he uses words to describe his nighttime as dealing with his enemies, talking about the pit that he's fallen into and God has pulled him out, and talking about Sheol, that realm of the dead, that netherworld of misty darkness where nobody ever comes back from. He nailed it. It was nighttime. And I'll say this. We may not all agree on what the psalmist meant by weeping may endure for a night. We may not all agree on what nighttime is spiritually, but I think we can all agree on this. The psalmist was not talking from theory, right? He had experienced this in real life and real time. 
This was personal to him. Weeping that endures for a night. And nights can be so terrible. But, he says, he pivots. Weeping may linger for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Joy comes with the morning. Now, to me, one of the most beautiful words in the English language is morning. I love mornings. I drive my family crazy. I drive my church staff crazy. You cannot choose a meeting time that's too... I heard that amen, Rod. You can't choose a meeting time that's too early for me. I love mornings. To me, mornings are pristine and pure and uncluttered. They are brand new like snow that's just fallen. A morning is a brand new creation, never made before by God. I I love mornings. I... I know some of you don't think God gets up until 9 a.m. And some of you don't mind people like me being enjoying mornings. You just would like for us not to be so obnoxious about it. I get that. But mornings are so special. And I think there's a biblical theme to that. Helen Keller, who lived in the 1800s, deaf and blind, would go out on the porch early of a morning. She couldn't hear the birds sing. She couldn't see the sunrise. But she could feel the sun's warmth on her face. And she welcomed and greeted the sunrise. And you know, the Gospels tell us that Jesus was raised from the dead out of that grave. And it was early in the morning that his followers discovered the empty tomb. And for followers of Jesus, it's been morning ever since. Because Jesus is back from the dead. He's alive. And that's morning. After a thunderstorm uh, in the night, uh, the next morning the little girl was talking to her mama. And the, she, the little girl had been traumatized. You know, thunder and wind. And, and it was kind of terrifying. She said, Mommy, What was God doing last night during the storm? And the mom was thinking, oh, where's my pastor when I need him? I need a Bible verse. I need something spiritual to say. But before the mom could come up with anything, the little girl answered her own question. She said, I know where God was. He was busy making the morning. And she's right. God's always making a morning. No matter the storm that you're in, no matter the night you're going through, God is always making a new morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning. That's God's promise. That's God's assurance. In the middle of the Montgomery bus boycott of the middle 1950s uh, in the heart of Alabama, a young Martin Luther King Jr. uh, found himself leading that effort to desegregate Uh, the bus line in the south, at least in Montgomery. And he tells about a particular night when the phone rang and he answered it and it was another threat on his life and on the life of his wife and children. Of course he couldn't go back to sleep. He went to the kitchen and made a pot of coffee, sat down by himself at the kitchen table, put his head in his hands, 
At that particular moment, he was feeling the weight of all of the expectations of the black people, but also feeling the weight of the hatred and vitriol of the whites. And as he was crying and sitting at the table, he remembers saying out loud in this prayer, I can't face this by myself. And he reports, he reported that as soon as those words came out of his mouth, the tears began to dry and his fear began to melt. And he heard an inner voice say to him, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And he found courage. He found courage to go on and to lead. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, Billy Graham has said, when you come to the end of yourself, that's when you've come to the beginning of God. When we come to the end of ourselves, that's when God begins to work. And God can make a new morning. God's capable of doing what we cannot do. And that's his promise. I wonder what kind of nighttime you're living in and through right now. I just, just follow me around for a week in a church this size and I could tell you stories about some of the night times that our precious people are dealing with. I wonder what you're dealing with this morning. And in the midst of your nighttime, can you by faith believe that God created that first morning when he made heavens and earth? And can you trust him that he can always bring about a morning in your life? Can you take God at God's word that it doesn't have to be like it's always been? And can you by faith believe what Revelation says in the 21st chapter that in heaven someday there won't be a need for sun and moon, that the glory of God will be the light, the only light we need, and it will never be night there? What an amazing promise. And can you take a breath whether you're five years old or 95 or anywhere in between, could you take a breath this morning and just look back on your life and acknowledge that the best times in your life have always been the times when God took your weeping night and turned it into laughing morning, turned it into the brand new. See, God invites us to trust him that he's always making the morning. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes with the morning.